of our position in Jesus Christ, right? And um, I always love coming in on a Sunday morning and, um, you know, Corey and I faithfully take a moment to pray, you know, before. And um, you can tell Corey comes in, like, just seeking, like, all right, God, where, like, what is it this morning? And I always love hearing where, what Corey's hearing, because inevitably it always correlates with what's going on in the message or somewhere else. And it's just like, I thank Corey for his ability to hear God, but I praise God for his faithfulness in speaking through people and creating the picture, you know, of what God's doing as you go through um, through the morning. You know, I mean, it's kind of rich, ritual and routine, but, you know, Corey's talk, shared with us this morning about the, the whole idea of, like, the, the being of heaven, being of earth. And, and we're going to actually get to that in Ephesians. And that idea of, like, that we've been walking through, that, like, shame is something of the earth, right? Like, shame is something that we feel as a result of our humanity on earth. But it's not something that is actually um, core or organic to who we are. Because we are, of, we are of heaven, right? And so we are to be aware of that relationship and of that ability to be free from shame in our life because of our relationship with God the Father. Um, and, and it's just really cool to see, you know, how, how God brings this all together. So we're going to uh, look first at Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to be kind of bouncing around, but most of the scriptures are up on the screen. Um, but if you have your Bibles, I do invite you to turn to Genesis 3. We're going to pick up at verse 7. Um, most are probably familiar with the account of the fall of Adam and Eve and their choice to partake of the fruit but we're going to um, just kind of look and pull some pieces, pull some thoughts out of here. So um, I'm going to pick up and read 7 through 11 of chapter 3 in Genesis. It says, Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? You know, we've um, heard that story a lot, right? I mean, it's kind of like a, it's a core occasion in our, our walk. And, and we are so blessed, and I say that sarcastically, um, to have this account be a part of our being, you know, a part of humanity. Um, but even that account of it, right, from that very moment, 
God's redemptive work begins. And so we can praise God for that. Amen. But Adam and Eve, um, what I want to focus on is their reaction to their sin, right? They, they partake of something that they know, and both sinned in their, in their own way, right? And so they're both responsible. And they partake of this fruit, and immediately their eyes are opened, and the thing that they notice is their nakedness. Now, some scholars um, point out that, okay, so they were obviously naked prior to eating of the fruit, so then what were they clothed in is kind of the question that comes up. And what some scholars think is that they were clothed in light, right? Which is a pretty cool idea um, and, and, and thought. And there's some evidence that supports that. You know, we, we look at Moses, and when he went and he communed with God on the top of Mount Sinai, he would come down and his face would glow, right, because of the presence of God. And we know that they walked in the cool of the evening, cool of the day, with God. And so they were with God often. And so it, it would kind of make sense. And God is, is light, right? And they were created in God's image. And so there's a lot of connections there that this could be a, a, a very educated hypothesis, right? And so if we take that concept and we think of them then being aware of their nakedness, what it means is, is that their light was dimmed or their light went out. And so no longer when they looked at each other would they see the illumination of God, but they would look at each other and actually see their humanity. And from that moment, right, from that moment they knew they had done something wrong. I think about so often some sins in our life, right, that we engage. And in the moment it feels good, and even in some behaviors it feels good after the moment you know so like like if you do drugs like you know what's the what's the motivation well you get high right so you have this high feeling and some people appreciate that i don't think i would i don't really like you know that weird feeling i don't even like taking like prescribed pain meds you know um because that just feels weird um but like some people they appreciate that right and so there's like there's reward for some sin Right? But here, for whatever reason, we don't actually see that. It doesn't get communicated, that reward of eating of this fruit. We go right to the consequence. That the, the light was diminished. The, the posture, the presence that they were supposed to be in was gone. And they saw each other's nakedness. And they were embarrassed. They were ashamed. And, and we know that that those emotions were probably a part of their response because what do they do? They cover their nakedness, right? Now, they, they would have no idea that what we think is the sensitive parts of our nakedness would be something that they have to cover, but that's what they cover, right? And, that's, and, they, and they use fig leaves. If you ever felt a fig leaf, it's not very smooth. It's not very comfortable, right? It's actually kind of prickly and uncomfortable. Like, so, like, obviously, obviously, um, they're not very good um, with, with clothing and design. 
Um, and so that obviously has evolved as well over time. But they, they know that they're not in their right posture. They're not in their right image. They're not reflecting their father in the way that they have. And so in human effort, by their own strength, they try to compensate. And, and so often in our own life, when we have sinned, we often try to compensate, right? We make excuses, we find justification. All this, we, we try to compensate because that's, that's kind of our second nature now, right? And so just like Adam and Eve, we find that that is true in our own walk. It's a true in our own life. And that's okay. You know, like, yeah. I, I think I would say that our efforts to compensate is not necessarily negative. Because what it does point out is that something is off. Right? Something's wrong. Something's not the way that it should be in our life. So we have to compensate. Right? But here's how we get in trouble. It's in how we compensate. Do we compensate out of our own strength by forming our own fig leaf, right? Covering. Or do we compensate by going to God, our Father? We read, as we read in the passage, the Lord shows up, right? So now he's in the scene and he shows up. He knows what has happened. He comes at his normal time And now, there's no law, there's no grace, it's just God in relationship with Adam and Eve. That's what they have right now, right? So this is like pre-Old Testament law, pre-death, Christ's death on the cross. They just have their relationship. And God shows up. He doesn't get angry with them, he doesn't condemn them, he doesn't go off and kill them like so many times in the Old Testament when we have the law is the justification for the sins of the Israelites. No. He engages in relationship. He comes to them and he says, um, he says, where are you? Right? He's asking questions. It's invitational. From the very beginning, they have removed themselves from the, God, the presence of God And God comes back and he invites them back in by asking them where they are. And it's their choice now what they want to do. And and Adam and Eve, you you can kind of like picture this, right? They kind of stay in hiding. Um, And they say, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. All of a sudden, inappropriate fear is now a part of their emotions. And they allow that fear then, that embarrassment of their nakedness, to keep them from receiving the invitation to come into God's presence. He says, God then says, Who told you that you were naked? And he knows they've eaten it because they wouldn't know they were naked unless they have eaten of the fruit. But he still asks, have you eaten of the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? 
And then the man and the woman, right? That's where the blame game starts, right? And we say, oh, well, it was her fault. No, it was the serpent's fault. Ah. Right? But they don't take responsibility. And they don't actually accept the invitation that God puts before them. Not, not that the story would be that much different. But you wonder if Adam and Eve actually took responsibility and repented of their actions and came and accepted the invitation. What would the scriptures look like? What would the story of humanity look like? We would still need a savior because the sin had occurred, right? So there would still be that natural consequence. So I'm not saying that we wouldn't have Jesus Christ in the role we do. I think we would. But it might look a little different, right? It might be a a more reactive response in us naturally to repent and accept the invitation of Jesus Christ, accept the invitation of God the Father back into his presence, back into relationship with him. Scholar says, um, uh, biblical scholar his, by name of Guzik, he goes, he says, every attempt to cover our own nakedness before God is just as foolish, relating to Adam and Eve and that, that foolishness of using fig leaves. He says, we need to let Jesus cover us and put on Jesus himself as our covering garment. Covering our own sin as foolishness made me think of, um, of lying. I don't know why, but I just thought of lying. And have you ever um, had a kid lie to you and you could pretty easily tell, like, wow, that's clearly a lie. Um, And so then you start asking questions, right? Because you want to see if you can uncover the lie, and then their lie gets a little bit bigger, you know, and a little bit bigger, and all of a sudden now you have, like, like, you know, human-sized bats flying in and flying off of something, you know? And so I came up this, this, uh, looked up this little tale. It's called a hairy tale. It says, it's from a little girl. Say, I didn't eat the biscuit. A spider ate it all. It was a great big hairy one, as big as my red ball. It dangled from the ceiling and swung onto the shelf. It opened up the biscuit tin and, okay, I ate it myself. But there really was a spider, not quite like what I said. In fact, it really was quite small, but its eyes were huge and red. Right? Like, I mean, these stories, right? We just, like, it's like, in our nature, we just, we, we create these stories. But really what we're called to do is to let Jesus cover this, right? Let Jesus come into our life. And it says, he says, um, as our covering garment, right? Light no longer covered Adam and Eve. So what they do? We, they chose fig leaves. Not a wise choice in their own strength. But God gives us another covering. God makes a way 
for us to yet again be covered. And this time, it's covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Revelations 3.18 says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. God is the source in which we are invited into so that we can live not as sinners, but live as children of God. And he provides, God our provider, he provides the things that are missing because of our choices to eat of the fruit knowledge of good and evil. This passage also connects this idea of shame being connected to our nakedness, right? Which reveals the depth of shame in our life. Reveals the depth of how much shame keeps us from accepting the invitation of the Father. Accepting our role. Accepting our position as a child of God in Jesus Christ. Let's jump to uh, 1 Corinthians 15, if you would. So now we're in the New Testament. This is where we can look at the, our, our plight in the context of Jesus Christ having died on the cross, his blood having been shed. Okay? And this is where um, Paul, he, he is talking about resurrection. Um, and you'll see here, this is kind of where the connection of heaven and earth and how we live come into play. And so, um, starting with verse 44, read to 49. It is sown a natural body it is raised a spiritual body. So we're talking about us as men, right? Natural body. But there is also a spiritual body, okay? If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. And so Paul's making the connection that Jesus Christ is the last Adam. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural, and then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. So Paul gives us this promise, and we hear this throughout Scripture, right? There's our earthly bodies, and then there's our resurrected bodies. There was Jesus Christ on earth when he walked as a man, flesh, bones, blood. Then there's Jesus Christ who walks on earth as a resurrected man, flesh and bone. And we know, like, he could eat food, so we know, like, okay, our resurrected bodies, we get to eat. So if you enjoy certain foods, don't worry, you won't get you won't, have to work. you won't have to miss them. You still get them in your resurrected body. But there's this connection here, right? 
about Adam being a man of the dust. And so therefore, we, we have identity there. We have relationship with that. But it's not where we stay. It's not the only thing that defines us. It's also our relationship with the new Adam, the second Adam, the last Adam, because no other Adam is needed. And that Adam, we also have identity with. We also have a posture and a position with which we are now established because of his death and resurrection on the cross. And so we can choose to live over here as a man of the dust and we can continue to, out of our own strength, find covering, right? And this is where we get, where we earn our grace. This is where we get earning salvation because we are working out of our own strength. Or we can come over here and we can live in grace and we can be recipients of God's plan. And whether we're in our resurrected body or not, this is available on earth, right? And, and, and Paul points to the fact that this is, this is what is for us, right? Our resurrected selves, where we are free from that old body made out of dust and we are free then embracing our new body, which is of heaven. That, that's kind of an ultimate goal. That's something to look forward to. But it, we're not stuck there while on earth. But we are on this progression. We are on this journey towards this, right? Sanctification is the process by which we are made holy. That is the process which we live out on earth. And, and here's how we can experientially validate that, right? And that's because there may be a sin that you have struggled with in your life. There may be an experience which has impacted you and caused a wounding in you. If there was no progression, we would stay stuck in that sin. We would stay hurt by that wounding. But our sin, we can have... Um, forgiveness for our healing we can have our our wounding we can have healing for and so there are things that are available to us on earth in our current posture that allow us to more fully embrace an invitational relationship with jesus christ that we can walk closer to our resurrected selves than our earthly dust this make sense? Are you following? Okay. So let's go to the next book, two down, look at Ephesians. And I'm going to kind of present the theological um, point that makes this all possible. Okay. And I'm going to read um, verses 11 to 22, and I'm going to invite you to stand for this reading. Paul again here is writing to the Ephesians and he is talking about a oneness in Christ. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise having no hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Amen. Right? Amen. I mean, this is life-giving word. You may be seated. Thank you. Paul's talking about the distinction between Gentile and Israel, right? And Israel's purpose, Israel's focus was that they were supposed to be the nation that brings salvation through, Jesus, through God to the world, right? They were supposed to go, and according to the law, they were supposed to cleanse the land, and they were supposed to bring about God's, God's plan for the world. It didn't work so well, right? Because they couldn't actually make it in, in relationship to the law. It wasn't doable. What does God do? He gives us Jesus Christ, who does live his life according to the law. And therefore breaks the bondage of the law, which Ephesians is talking about here. And he says that that's broken. And therefore, those who were far off, those who the nation of Israel was told from the beginning to be in hostility to, because they were not of God, now is invited near. Now is being offered peace. That they too may have relationship with God. So unless you are of, of Israel uh, descent, right? We personally can identify with the Gentiles, right? We were far off. And we can even make it a new analogy into our contemporary world. Those who do not know Jesus Christ are far off. And those who do are near. We are not in hostility with those who do not know Jesus at this point. But we are to offer them peace. We are to bring and invite them into the relationship that Jesus offers us. But this is all possible because of this one phrase. He says, verse 16, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Reconcile. This is the act that has allowed us to no longer have to abide here as the old Adam did. But we are now reconciled, which gives us the ability to walk covered by the grace of God, wearing the garment 
that covers our nakedness, that brings about no shame, because it is Jesus Christ's garment on us. It is for us, so that we may live as sons and daughters of of Jesus Christ. We were reconciled. Jesus already died on the cross. He already was buried. He already rose. So the reconciliation has happened. Our posture has changed because of Jesus Christ. And we get to live in that knowledge. We get to live in that truth. And what that means is is that no more should we be concerned about things of this earth in a way that is of a human mindset. But we should be concerned about the things of this earth in a way that is of our God's mindset. So what does this mean? Let's think practically about this. Probably say a decade ago, maybe a little bit longer, we hear amongst church culture, worship wars, right? The war of worship. How is that logical? (laughs) Right? But it was a reality. And in some churches, still is a reality. No, I do traditional. No, I do contemporary. You're allowed to have your preference, right? But what mindset is that? Right? That's an earthly mindset. Because what Paul is making the point here is it's not about circumcised or uncircumcised, right? That was a, that was a distinction about who is holier and in, in a physical expression. And it ignored the heart. Praise God there are people who love to worship God with traditional music. And praise God that there are people who love to worship God in contemporary music. End of story. Right? Like there are enough people not worshiping God that those who are worshiping God, why are we fighting about it? We should be celebrating that people love to worship God. And this should be a goodness, a good, good thing. And yet we get so caught up in this earthly perspective, right? I mean, how many churches, you know, it's like ridiculous, but so awful at the same time that have actually heard churches splitting over the color of carpet that they put in the sanctuary. Like, praise God that you have a sanctuary to worship in. Let alone, you get to carpet it, you know? Like, praise God for how he has provided. Not fighting over these things, right? Because we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We are a part of a family. And so when our personal preference, when our opinion of what is the best way to worship God comes in between the perspective and comes in between our relationship with our brothers and sisters, then we are are functioning out of an old self. Because the new self says, no, we are one in the Spirit. And it may mean that we need to look beyond a certain situation or look beyond a certain scenario. But we do it on account 
of the oneness in Jesus Christ. We do it because we understand how loved we are in Jesus Christ. We do it because we recognize that the body of Christ is something that we are called to pour into. And if I take my stance on what my preference or opinion is, then I am not pouring into the body, but I am asking the body to acquiesce to me. And that is not the posture God calls us into. It's not the posture for which Jesus Christ died on the cross. And so in these moments, right? Because we all have them, right? I have it too. You know, because it's, it's just there. It's really easy to get self-focused. Um, I think about this with my kids. Like, no, I'm their father. I need to actually think about them and pour into them, you know, because I get tired. I get frustrated. I make poor choices and I get overworked. And so then I don't have the time or the energy for them that they deserve or need, right? And so I get selfish, and then I say, let's watch a little TV because we could just sit there and be together, right? And then I want to watch something that I want to watch, not something they want to watch, and it just goes on and on, right? Because we can really get that way. But what happens If you think about it, when we get selfish, when we get in that place, we actually look like Adam and Eve hiding hiding behind the trees, right? Because a selfish place is a very isolating place. It's a very lonely place because there's only space for self. But when I'm thinking in terms of who I am in Jesus Christ, when I am thinking selflessly, then it's actually a very inviting space. It's a very receiving space. And it's a very healthy place to pour into the body of Christ. It's also something that we get modeled for us when we see a brother and sister in that space because we all we all ebb and flow, we all come in and out of it, that it's not about calling them out of it, but it's inviting them back into the relationship of the body. Just like God walked in the garden and invited Adam and Eve back into the communion and the walking with him, it is the body of Christ who gets to do the same for each member of its body. That as we see them making choices that are asking the body to acquiesce to them, the body gets to say, hey, why don't, why don't you step back into the body and, and join us again? You know, we want you here. This is, that's, a, that's a very isolating place. Why don't you come? Come and join us. Come see where God's taking us. Come see where the oneness of the Spirit is. Discern with us. Pray with us. Let's seek this together. And that's available in our current context because we have been reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. 
on the cross. One of the ways Trinity, the Trinity works through this is that we are presented to God the Father through Jesus Christ who does the presenting because he's the one who died on the cross for us. He paid the penalty for the sin, right? So Jesus Christ is kind of our host if we think about him in that way. That he walks with us and presents us to God the Father. And it is through the Holy Spirit that we are prepared. We are made ready for that presentation. And then God the Father sits there and makes the statement, you are a child of mine and accepts us into his kingdom. And we get to be citizens of his kingdom because of Jesus Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father God, you... You are fascinating. Lord, to know that the moment you began to engage Adam and Eve after they ate of that fruit, that in that moment, the redemption process began. And then to know hundreds of years later, Lord, that redemptive process had this overwhelming moment where Jesus Christ, your son, fulfilled the law. And to know, Lord, that your redemptive process continues in us the power of your son and that because of your son Lord we can just flow in your spirit that we are made new every day and that there is a oneness that is available to us because of your invitation into relationship through Jesus Christ by the power of your Holy Spirit Lord we just thank you we thank you help us Lord to accept your invitation when we are drifting away. Help us, O Lord, to clothe ourselves in the white garment of Jesus Christ. In your name, amen.